And now, live, it's time. Carr will go back into the gun. Jacobs cuts, middle walks in. Jackpot, baby. Josh Jacobs, touchdown. It's time for the JT the Brick Show. We have a good team. We have a good team that competes with uh, Seffert all the time. On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. We don't feel like effort's been an issue at all. It's the handoff. Bust toward the end. Jackpot, baby. Pinion Drake takes it home. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Good to have you back, JT, as we continue today. Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. And today's a big day in Raider history. It's a day we should all remember, January 19th. As we said earlier in the show, January 19th is a day that all Raider fans should remember because today is the 20th anniversary of the tuck rule. The 20th anniversary. So you better believe on the flagship of the Raiders, we're going to talk about it here and what happened in that infamous game. And I just wanted to share with you uh, my recollection of what happened that day and how it played out the tuck rule the controversial finish the afc divisional playoff game we're in the divisional round this week on january 19th 2002 between the patriots and the raiders that was in foxborough stadium snowstorm new england trailed by three points brady dropped back to pass you remember what happened when he begun a passing motion Brady clearly, clearly was whacked and hit by the great Charles Woodson. And then the debate went on, and it still goes on today. Did he pull his right hand down below his shoulder and had the ball touched his left hand when he recocked his arm there, coming off that strong side blitz of the great Charles Woodson? Let's go back to that infamous play-by-play call. The 42. Blitz. Football. It's on the ground, covered by the Raiders. His college teammate, Charles Woodson, on the blitz. Tom Brady never sees him coming from the front side. Greg Beekert recovers the fumble. Charles Woodson, first time today I've seen him come on a blitz. Ooh. The question is, did he pull it down? His arm was going forward, but was he throwing the football? Well, they, the exact term I can't think of, but if you throw a pass, and as you're faking that pass, now watch, as you're faking the pass, if it slipped out of your hand, that would be an incomplete pass. But was it forced out by Charles Woodson? I don't think the, the recoil of the fake throw is what made it come out of Tom Brady's hand. Uh, After reviewing the play, the quarterback's arm was going forward. It is an incomplete pass. <laughs> Second and 10 on the 42. Wow. So at the time, if you hear the crowd, the crowd knew the game was over after Greg Beekert fell on the loose football. And then the chaos ensued. The officials initially called the play a recovered fumble. So initially, they got it right. And you would need evidence to overturn it. But then Walt Coleman... Walt Coleman, how can you forget that, went to take a look at the incomplete play that he thought in his mind would be tough to see, but I watched every documentary. There's a new documentary coming out with Woodson and Tom Brady on this. He declared the play an incomplete forward pass, gave possession back to New England, and then what happened after that was even crazier. It really was. 
It was nuts what happened afterwards. Adam Benateri tied the game with a 45-yard field goal, which I believe is the greatest kick of all time. One of the most important kicks of all time, but I think the greatest kick of all time because of the conditions. He barely cleared the Raider line of scrimmage because he had to keep it low. And then after that, they end up winning. And with that 45-yard field goal, the Patriots get to overtime and they win and they beat the Raiders. And what else could be said after that? Two games later, the Patriots won the Super Bowl. And that was a Super Bowl that John Gruden should have had. That would have been his second Super Bowl. It probably would have held back John Gruden going to Tampa Bay, obviously. He would have stayed in Oakland at the time. So you could debate that issue all day long. But it was also Eric Allen's last game. Think of that for a second. My partner on the Raiders pre- and post-game show. The last play, the last game that Eric Allen ever played in. And Eric Allen played a huge role in that game because he overheard the play. I asked Bobby to find the audio of this today. Here's the great Eric Allen, part of the explanation what happened during the tuck rule game in 2001. So here's this young quarterback that comes over and he's speaking with the offensive coordinator. And he says, hey, we're going to go three by one and we're going to throw the slant backside. And I dash to the huddle, and I set the play up, basically. I say, hey, they're going to go three by one, so linebacker, make sure you're in that first window. If he runs a slant, and he's going to throw it in the first window, he sees the linebacker, and he pulls the ball back to pump it. So there it is. When you see what happened there, when you saw what happened on January 19th, excuse me, 2002, and how that game played out, that was it. And Eric Allen called the play correctly. He ran to the huddle. EA had the play. It was set up perfectly. And as Eric says, and he's told me this privately over dinner, and we've talked about it, if Brady came forward and threw the ball, it would have got picked off because they had someone sitting in that window. And then if you go back, and here's what's, there's been other tuck roll games out there, but nothing bigger than that. Jake Plummer, Redskins Broncos 2005, Chiefs Ravens 2010, Mike Pereira, the former NFL vice president of officiating, stated that there was no, he was no longer in support of the tuck rule as it was enforced in a playoff game January 9th of 2011. But here's what should get everybody really pissed off today on the tuck rule 20th anniversary. In March of 2013, the NFL competition committee proposed that the league owners eliminate the tuck rule. The owners abolished the rule with a 29-to-1 vote at the 2013 annual meeting in Phoenix. The only team to vote against the elimination of the tuck rule was the Pittsburgh Steelers, while the Patriots and the Redskins abstained from the vote. After that, Robert Kraft said, quote, I love the tuck rule and forever will, and I know Al Davis, may he rest in peace, is probably smiling, which I always thought that was a, a cheap shot there. He meant probably smiling because they eliminated the tuck rule. So there it is. That's the 20th anniversary. Let me share what I did that day. That day is a day that I'll never forget. Young in my career, 20 years ago, hosting the Raiders pre- and post-game show. And it's a little bit fuzzy where I did the pre-game show because the post-game show was from Ricky's, the legendary Raider bar, Ricky's Sports Theater and Grill in San Leandro. And I'm assuming I did the pre-game show there that day. 
but we might have been at the Raiders team facility using their equipment. I don't recall. And I wish someone who was listening today on Raider Nation Radio, I don't know anybody who could recall it, because George Atkinson, my partner, wasn't there. George Atkinson went back to the game. And George Atkinson was at the game, which was rare, because George stuck around on the road games, and we did the post-game show. We did it at the West Side Club when the team was home, but when the team was on the road, George stayed back with me. Anyway, so we're at Ricky's, and it's packed, and it was like a concert. Ricky had the whole parking lot tented off a stage for us to host a post-game show and the place was a madhouse people were drinking going crazy and ricky's if you've been to ricky's and many of you have you know ricky's was about as crowded as i could ever remember they needed that overfull old crowd out in the parking lot to hold the amount of people and i remember ricky going back and forth the bar was packed it was three deep and the game started to develop, and it really felt like the Raiders were going to win the game. And at the end of the game, chaos ensued. Absolute chaos ensued. And everybody started throwing empty beer cups, and people were really pissed off and kicking walls and cursing and screaming. I'll never forget it. It's nighttime, and we're back there. It was sunset or nighttime, if I recall. And then we had to put the headset on and do the postgame show. And I could barely hear myself because fans were so irate. And because George was back there, George called in on the phone on the plane. And I ended up co-hosting the show with the great Raider Mort, or I brought Raider Mort in to help me. It was a two-hour postgame. And Mort, who's a Raider legendary fan and historian, he was almost at a loss for words, but he helped me talk about the game. There were a lot of big plays in that game, including that Venetary kick that I'll never forget that tied the game in that snow. I don't know how that ball ever went through. And then afterwards, as the sound came in, as some of the Raider media was back there in New England interviewing some of the Raiders, and Charles Woodson was visibly shaken. John Ritchie, visibly shaken, because they knew that that was a Super Bowl team, a Super Bowl contending team, and they lost out on that opportunity. I never thought that day that that would be the last game that John Gruden ever coached. Al Davis traded uh, traded him to Tampa Bay for two first-round picks. And again, Eric Allen, that was the last game he ever played. It would have been the foundational piece of the legacy of Charles Woodson if they didn't take it away. And Charles was a first-ballot Hall of Famer as we went back to Canton this past summer. This is in. Imagine with all the great interceptions and plays and the Super Bowl in Green Bay and all the great moments in Oakland if Charles Woodson if they didn't overrule that and call it the tuck rule, no doubt that's the greatest play of Woodson's career. No debate. It would have been the biggest one. And Greg Beekert, who fell on the ball and was a great linebacker at that time, really a solid play caller on defense. But everything changed after that. Now, the good news for the Raiders is they went on to go to the Super Bowl and they didn't fold after that. That could have really devastated the team. And the Raiders came back and rode the next season all the way to the AFC Championship game. And what after that happened, that was a big deal because it showed a lot of pride in the Raiders. And the Raiders were really good back then. And as I said, I thought, you know, being a part of the pre- and post-game broadcast that every year the Raiders would go to the playoffs. Every year the Raiders could go to the Super Bowl. And then after that Super Bowl run, at the end of 2002 into the 2003 Super Bowl, the Raiders really struggled after that. Al Davis went all in to try to build on that team that lost the Tuck game, to bring in other free agents, to make the team even better, 
And they did. They actually got better and made a Super Bowl run. But that was a moment 20 years ago today. And in life, you remember your wedding anniversary, your birthdays, big moments in your life you'll remember. The day your kid was born or kids were born. I'll never forget this date. And I woke up this morning and Darren Ravel, and then I started putting in the tuck rule into my search engine. And then I got a text from Eric Allen as I forwarded it to him. And he says, it still stings from Eric Allen. It does. It should sting everybody. It was really a big moment that changed Raider history. It changed the head coach. It changed the Patriots. Let's wrap it up with that. If, If they don't end up winning that game, they don't win the Super Bowl. It's not the birth of Tom Brady. Tom Brady is probably born a year or two after that, but we could take away one of the Super Bowls of Tom Brady, the first one, and we could talk about maybe the storyline with Brady taking longer than it should have for him to develop into the great Tom Brady. That's the way I see it. Patriot fans still to this day love hanging it over the Raiders, and the Raiders still to this day are pissed off about it. So anything you want to add on the tuck rule and where you were that day, what your memory was, who you were watching it with, You might have been watching it with a family member who's deceased. You might have been watching it with a young child. Now it's 20 years later. That's a grown man or a grown uh, young lady or wherever it was. Or maybe your buddies. You're still buddies with them today. But Raider fans should never forget this day, January 19th. For that is the day of the tuck rule. A day that will always be remembered in Raider history as one of the biggest screw jobs of all time. Now, the, the inadvertent whistle in Cincinnati was something we talked about all week, and is, we've been pretty worked up on that, but nothing compared to the tuck rule. So to me, for me, it's the immaculate reception and the tuck rule. Those are the two, for those who add the Rod, Rob Lytle fumble, there are other games that diehard Raider fans add to it. But I don't know how you can't have the tuck rule on the Mount Rushmore of the worst plays ever to go against the Raiders. You might have it number one. I put it number two behind the immaculate deception and Frenchie Fuqua, and the Tatum hit, and Franco Harris picking the ball up off the turf as Phil Villapiano is getting clipped when he easily, easily would have tackled Franco. Because Phil's one of the greatest tacklers at that time in football, and he had him right lined up before he was clipped. Yeah, it's still rough. But the tuck rule I was a part of on that postgame show, and that was a tough one. And I'll remember it, and it bonded me with Raider Mort, George and all the fans and I wanted to get this in today because I wanted to mention Ricky at Ricky Sports Theater and Grill may he rest in peace because that was a place that I always wanted to go back to the rest of my life but a dark day was January 19th 20 years ago at Ricky's as the Raiders lost to the New England Patriots JT uh, that was brought to you by Grimaldi's five locations here in the valley a uh, best place to get pizza in town best pizza I've ever had my sister was out here this last week We got three pies. We picked it up. A couple of salads came home, and they were blown away by it. They know Grimaldi's is the official pizza of the JT The Brick Show. Anything you want to add on the tuck rule, if you can't call in, just hit me up at JT The Brick as we continue. This is Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM.
I was wondering if you've gotten any clarity on uh, on your position moving forward and, and being the head coach, the permanent head coach of the Raiders, is that something that you aspire to be? Um, Mark and I have, have had some conversations. Uh, there's due process. He has to interview some other candidates, as I, I, I well know. Um, I'm very respectful of the process, um, what it's supposed to look like and how it's supposed to work. And I think we'll be in con- constant conversation and we'll certainly talk again before the week is over. Rich Bisaccia, who's interviewing today with Mark Davis. The question was asked by Vinny Bonsignor. Welcome back, JT, with you. I bring in Lee Hacksaw-Hamilton, one of the premier NFL insiders, sports talk radio icon, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Lee, a lot to get to. First, I wanted to ask you about the Dallas Cowboys situation, final 14 seconds, how you saw it, what you wrote up about it, and what do you think the fallout's going to be with the coaches after that loss? Well, everybody in Dallas has gotten a vote of confidence from the two guys that count, Stephen and Jerry Jones. I mean, they're publicly backing Mike McCarthy. Uh, I I thought the thing was a fiasco at the end. I I just don't quite understand why you run the (laughs) football at the tail end, knowing that the clock could tick, you could slip, that ball might not get spotted in time. Uh, You know, it should have been a Hail Mary down toward the line and some gimmick play that way, so... I was just stunned at the conclusion of the game. But, you know, overall in the big picture, for Dallas to be in the hole they were in was kind of a, a surprise, too. But I don't think there are going to be any changes at all. And Mike McCarthy's been there for two years. Dak Prescott's put up some mystical numbers in two seasons. So a whole chunk of what they're doing there obviously seems to work. But have they gotten to the finish line, which is going deep into January? No, not yet. Well, Lee, what do you see with Dan Quinn? I remember when he coached Atlanta and got let go, and now people think he's the great candidate in Denver. What am I missing here? What's the difference between Dan Quinn and Vic Fangio, who a lot of people think is a better defensive coordinator, on the direction that the Broncos might want to go in if they choose him as head coach? Well, you know, it's it's weird because Quinn did fail. Uh, You know, and he had come off Pete Carroll's staff. But, Mm -hmm. you know, unless you're behind the curtain uh, in, in that room, you don't know what he inherited. You don't know how bad the roster was. They were they were destroyed by injuries over, I don't know, two to three consecutive seasons. So I don't know if it was strictly on Dan Quinn. But I do know this. He walked into a situation that wasn't real good in Dallas. I mean, that's a pretty deplorable defense. And they they got good. And then they finally got him healthy. And, then, and young guys that they drafted started to play much better. So I think that's why his credibility has shot back up. Uh, I will say this, though. This is a, a eclectic group of veteran coaches that are on street corners today interviewing for head jobs. I mean, if you go back and if you look, Todd Bowles, Raheem Morris, Leslie Frazier, Dan Quinn, all those guys have kind of resuscitated their careers based on what they did after they had bounced out as a head coach, where they've gone and, and what they've accomplished. I mean, three of the four or maybe all four could be hired for the eight vacant jobs that are in the National Football League and maybe a ninth one if Cliff Kingsbury uh, goes down the chute because of what's happened in Arizona each of the last two seasons. So it's a it's a pretty good cross-section collection of defensive guys. And, of course, Fangio, I don't think he'll get hired as a head coach, but I'd hire him as my defensive coordinator for sure. Right now, absolutely. Lee Hacksaw-Hamilton is our guest. Lee, what do you think of the job Rich Passaccia did? Obviously, the Charger game was big. It knocked the Chargers out. The Raiders advanced in overtime, and they were a 10-win team. They came up short in Cincinnati. Your comment on the job Passaccia did and the 
release of Mike Mayock and what that does potentially for the front office of the Raiders? Uh, I think that it's just turmoil. I think it's chaos. And I don't know if Mark Davis knows what he's doing. I mean, that's a general consensus of people that I network with around the National Football League. Uh, he inherited the franchise from his father. The franchise was in disrepair. Uh, have they made progress? I don't know. Uh, they, they had bloated contracts. They had to clean that ledger off. I thought, I thought Reggie McKenzie did a pretty decent job doing that, and then he got let go, and Mayock came in as, in essence, a subordinate to John Gruden. And if you look at all the mistakes they made on player personnel, how good a franchise really is it? Thank God Derek Carr is there to hold this thing together on the field, but to me it's just chaos across the board. Uh, I, I give credit to, to what's happened on the defensive side of the football. Mad Max and those guys, Max Crosby, they play hard. And, and you know, that, that's a trigger point that will help the linebacking core and a really, really young secondary. I, I, I guess my gut feel is there's still some good football to be delivered to Raider fans nationwide. But if you keep changing leaders, et cetera, are you ever going to get to where you think you can be? And, of course, Carr's contract becomes mm-hmm. a conversation piece, too. Rich did about as good as you could humanly do because I thought the bottom was going to fall out. After the mess with Gruden and then what happened with Rugg and then what Arnett did, I, th- I thought this thing was utterly going to collapse, and it didn't. So I give him credit for that. But is he dynamic enough? I don't know. There's an awful lot of good coaches out there. And Mark Davis has to hire the right general manager, and who is the right guy? I don't know if Mayock would have been the right guy had he been making the decisions, but he obviously had input with Gruden, and you know half of the decisions were horrible, including all those high draft picks that are gone. So he's got to hire the right general manager, and then the question is, is, is Mark Davis going to jump for the shiny object? Is the shiny object Jim Harbaugh, or is it one of these great veteran coaches, or is it the guy that stabilized his situation and got him to 7-6 and six into at least one game in the playoffs? Interesting month ahead for the Raiders for certain. Lee, just a little bit of pushback there, if you don't mind. When you say chaos, I mean, they got Vic Fangio fired, swept them back-to-back years. They knocked the Colts out of the playoffs. They knocked the Chargers out of the playoffs. They won 10 games as they recently moved and moved the franchise and built the world headquarters. For everybody on the outside talking about chaos, a lot of teams in this league don't have 10 wins in the momentum and some of the players on that roster. Uh, agreed. You could argue with me, but you might be wrong. Uh, you know, Carson Wentz is, is not what Carson Wentz used to be. Denver's got no quarterbacks. Uh, Brandon Staley cost the Chargers a game. Now, I'm sure I'm going to offend you, I would have much rather had the Chargers in the playoffs than the Raiders or the Steelers because I think the Chargers would have scared the hell out of some of these other teams that might have had to line up against them. That being said, 10 wins is 10 wins, and a playoff win is, would, have, would have you know mm-hmm. been really, really special. But I just think they got a lot of issues there from a credibility standpoint, and they got to hire the right guys. Uh, and I, you know, I walk away from this season. I think you and I talked about this last week in your notebook segment, JT. I walk away with such respect for Derek Carr. Holy cow, as a leader, as a player, as a competitor. Uh, you know, they also they got to solve his contract situation. But uh, it's a heck of a lot of teams would like to have Derek Carr uh, as mm-hmm. their quarterback if Derek Carr is not going to be a Raider. Hacksaw is our guest. So let's preview San Francisco Green Bay. They've had their number in the playoffs here pretty much uh, for Aaron Rodgers now. I don't think he, he can't lose to Jimmy Garoppolo at home. 
losing to Eli Manning, finding a way not to get to the Super Bowl through home field in Green Bay with Tom Brady last year. Okay, it's Tom Brady, the greatest of all time, but he can't spin himself out of this. They've had a week off. They have a better roster. The Niners are banged up. The Niners got to travel into Lambeau Field. Do you give the Niners a puncher's shot against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers? You know, of all the guys in the NFC, I think the 49ers, JT, are the team that's built to play in cold weather. Because mm-hmm. they're going to run it. They're going to try to punish you. And they will pound it and then they'll throw. And they got Debo Samuels doing crazy stuff with the offense. And their defense is really rugged, especially the back end of that defense. Uh, puncher's chance, yeah, probably a little bit more than that because I think this, this could be a cold-weather team. That being said... Matt LaFleur is 41-12 and 12 in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers at home is 86-19-1. By week, they're not going to screw this thing up, and I think Aaron Rodgers is just having an MVP statistical-type season. Going to be a really good game, but if, if Green Bay gets the early lead, then it changes a whole bunch of things. So San Francisco's got to be able to control it, control the clock, control the line of scrimmage, control the tough aspect toughness aspect of the game just to take take plays and snaps away from what Aaron Rodgers can do because Aaron Rodgers got a lot of bullets in his gun Lee Hacksaw Hamilton longtime radio voice of the Chargers and the Seahawks uh, all the work he does now Padres pre and post uh, great sports talk host the website is LeeHacksawHamilton.com and Lee the Rams look good Odell Beckham Jr., when you're talking about double-teaming Cooper Cup, and he's running free over the middle of the field, Stafford was really getting his arm into those throws there, but it's Tampa Bay. It's a lot of travel again as Tampa Bay had an extra day to prepare. The Rams come in flying across the country. They have Aaron Donald. They beat Tampa Bay earlier in the year, handicapped this game for us as it's the Rams. Tampa Bay just favored by a field goal, minus three. You get three for playing at home. Fascinated. I mean, Stafford, if he plays under control and doesn't force things, is really dangerous. He's got 43 touchdowns in his, in his wallet this season. What I'm, I, I, I am amazed at is the Rams, in a span of about four weeks, have found a way to do what the Cleveland Browns could not do in two years, figure out a way to get OBJ involved in a wide variety of routes and be productive. And he really has. He's not an afterthought as he was in Cleveland. And now, as you allude you're correct. Cooper Cup one side, tight ends they can throw to, OBJ on the other, and then dumping runs to running backs and running backs busting big runs against uh, spread defenses. I mean, they've, they've got everything lined up to be really good. Now, of course, Tampa Bay has got Tom Terrific, and he's got 43 touchdowns, and he's got Evans. Now, the only question I have, can you win without much of a running game in Tampa, and can you win if the bulk of your passing game is underneath stuff to tight ends. I mean, mm-hmm. I think Jalen Ramsey will line up at the breakfast table against Mike Evans, and that'll be a great one-on-one matchup. So do the Buccaneers have other stuff that they can get down the field with if, if Jalen Ramsey clamps down on Mike Evans? I, I think that's going to be a really good game. This, Tampa's got really rugged defense. I think their back yeah. seven might be collectively as athletic as anybody in the National Football League, going to be a good game. You're right about Ramsey versus Evans. I mean, that's a heavyweight fight. Finally, Lee, we got time for one more. I picked Buffalo to win the Super Bowl before the start of the year. I'd never done that in my career. I thought they were loaded. 
I was really shocked with their inconsistency, but they just won a big-time game with five touchdowns by Josh Allen. He looked like Namath in his primes throwing some of those daisy-cutter bombs there. But we all know how uh, tough it is to win at Arrowhead. Kansas City now a one-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. It feels like the AFC championship game again, but it's not. Who do you have? Well, Josh Allen's doing a tremendous amount of things. Nobody ever talks about the defensive side of the football that's given up only 270 yards per game and holding opposing quarterbacks to 30% conversion on third downs. But Patrick Mahomes at home is 30-7. and seven. Patrick Mahomes has an offense that's averaging well over 405 yards per game. Uh, and there's Andy Reid. I, I think Kansas City ends the Buffalo run, but it's probably going to be a shootout. And the other game, real briefly, Cincinnati's got no fear. Joe Burrow is just bold. But you know what? Tennessee, the unsung heroes and the Titans, how tough they are defensively led by Jeff Simmons and the defense. I think they're going to cause some problems for Joe Burrow. And then, then we have to just wait and see how, how heavy-duty is Derrick Henry and is Julio Jones and A.J. Brown uh, run routes and get open against Cincinnati. I think Tennessee wins, Kansas City wins, and that will be a pretty doggone good AFC championship game to probably rival whatever is going to happen in the other street corner in the NFC championship game a week from now. Lee HacksawHamilton.com, best 15 minutes, one man's opinion. Thank you, Lee. Talk to you soon. Always appreciate your time. My pleasure, Brick. Be well. You got it. There he is, Hacksaw, uh, one of the all-time greats, one of the first guys I've ever called on radio and still very sharp with his analysis of all of those games. Man, he was critical of the Raiders. He was critical of the Raiders, and he's a guest of the show. He was critical. I pushed back on it. Uh, he thinks Carr is the issue going forward. All right, let's get your opinion on what he had to say. And going forward, it's the 20th anniversary of the Tuck Rule game. If you have an opinion on that, 702-365-9200. Jay in Vegas. Thanks for waiting, Jay. You're up next. Go ahead. Oh, thanks for taking my call, JT, as always. I got a, a one thing for each topic. Uh, first, the Tuck Rule game, man. I was uh, at this club called uh, Club Barajas. It's uh, closed down now, but it was on Charleston, just west of Decatur. And uh, the the place was going crazy once uh, Beekert uh, got that fumble. And they had an outdoor patio, so we, we go out, like 10, 10 of us go out celebrating. By the time we come back, uh, it was like you could hear a pin drop. And we're all coming back in, you know, all happy, and everybody's looking at us like, what what, what are you guys doing? And it was just so surreal to see that. And then, obviously, what, what unfolded. Uh, it was it was a crazy night. I'll never forget it. Um, as far as the uh, GM and coaching search, uh, JT, look, man, uh, what I'm what I what I hope that uh, uh, you know Mark Davis does as far as when he's looking for these candidates for GM, I just I just hope that he does his due diligence and he finds himself a good communicator. Now I know people might say that, look, man, what is being a good community communicator? What is that? How does that translate to wins? Well, we saw it this year, JT, uh, with you know. I was hoping Mike Mayock would get another year, um, and a lot of has been said about who was drafting who and, and what, but, but it, it didn't take away that he was such a great communicator when everything mm-hmm. happened. Um, he was a, a calming sense, a calming presence, uh, uh, you know, for the organization. And as far as uh, Rich Versace, um, look, uh, you, had a caller, you had a caller earlier saying that nothing is uh, deserved, everything is earned. Well, I, I think and I believe in my heart that Rich Versace has earned the, the, the coaching spot. Um, and I say it because I've seen this team uh, last year, two years ago, three years ago, implode late in the season. And for him to flip the script with a team that wasn't 100% healthy throughout the whole year, 
I think he's earned his shot, mm-hmm. and I hope I hope that that Mark Davis gives him that shot. Thanks, JT. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. That's why we opened up the phones today on that. Rich Passaccia is interviewing for this position, and I think a lot of people, including myself, believes he deserves a shot in this interview process and what his philosophy is going forward. You know what I think of Coach Passaccia? We had him on every week. You know what I think of him and the job he did there. But there's always changes, and this is an interview process that I think is in the beginning stages. I believe, or maybe a quick hire can happen, uh, I know that it's going to take a little while to go through these GM candidates, as it looks like Dave Ziegler of the Patriots Director of Player Personnel and Ed Dodds, who turned down the Bears, Ed Dodds, the Colts assistant GM, seems to be very interested or could be very interested in this position. He was with the Raiders in the past. You know, the Ed Dodd situation is interesting because he worked under Al Davis 2003 to 2006. Most people that I know in life that work for Al Davis are Raiders. They want to come back to the Raiders. Be interesting to hear what happens in the interview process there. Someone's got to go into that building and blow Mark Davis away. Blow him away and tell him why they could lead this team in this upcoming draft, which will be in Vegas. Free agency, evaluate all the contracts, including the quarterbacks, and find a way to bring in new players via the draft or trades. Because I'm all for trades. I think trades are important now. You've got to have a GM that can wheel. There's some big names out there every year, and the goal was to get them to Vegas. No state taxes, brand-new stadium, the elite practice facility along with Dallas in the entire league. That's what I was led to believe like you are. People are going to want to play here. They're going to want to play here. Not only guys in the past who were overpaid to do it in Oakland, but no, people that might do it for a discount to play for the Raiders in a 10-win team. I hope there's a lot of players around the league lining up who want, who want to play for the Raiders. They believe it's a good place to be, a good place to work. And Mark Davis and the new GM is going to have to prove that to free agents and players. Mike in Vegas, you're up next. Thanks for waiting, Mike. Appreciate you. Okay, uh, this has been a long show today about the history of that terrible play 20 years ago. Okay, mm-hmm. briefly, I had just moved to Las Vegas in 1999. I was a grad student at UNLV, and I was watching the Raiders-Patriots game at the uh, Orleans Hotel and Casino. Mm-hmm. And when this unfair call happened, the, the people in the room went crazy, and Orleans security says, look, if you guys don't – Settle down. I'm going to call Metro. I saw some people throw some chairs in the lounge, and I moved over to the uh, the Kino part because some chairs were flying over my head. So it was really for 20 minutes or so. The Orleans uh, Hotel and Casino in the uh, TV lounge was was just was just wild and crazy. But uh, it was an unfair call. But but the, the, the same token, I just hope in the future uh, with the uh, Raiders' existing coach or a new coach that the team moves in the right direction. Yeah, that's the plan. But, Appreciate the call. Thank you for that story on the tuck rule at the Orleans. At the Orleans, I think everybody who was a Raider fan who remembers watching that game, if you watched it in public, there was chaos, depression afterwards, and that night was really hard to come to grips with. I stayed up in Oakland that night, and I didn't mention that in the story when I talked about it at the top of the hour. Because when the postgame ended, the Raiders, I remember this, and I know there are Raider executives listening or people involved with the Raiders who text me that that was a delayed flight. If I recall correctly, the Raiders, because of the snow and what happened at Foxborough in New England, 
had a massive delay. Massive delay traveling back to Oakland from New England. You know how far that is. I don't recall if they flew out of Rhode Island like we have in the past or if it was Logan in Boston. But the flight was delayed significantly. We're talking several hours. So imagine sitting on an airplane and a delay after that loss, which many players have said from Woodson to Eric Allen to Beekert, everybody, Tim Brown, all the players, John Ritchie, who I talked about this over drinks, the toughest game, the toughest loss anybody could be associated with. You cannot find a game as a football player other than the tuck rule, name it, that you would be a part of a loss like that with so much on the line. That's why it was really important the Raiders uh, beat the Chargers. You know, Hacksaw in the interview said that he'd rather see the Chargers in because they were the be- they were better. That's garbage. Chargers are not better than the Raiders. The Raiders beat them with the playoffs on the line. Outcoached them and beat them, and they won that game. Now, the quarterback, and you could debate position by position, but the Raiders won the game. For those who say chaos... I can't win that argument because then people call me a homer, say, J.T., you work for the team, you're on the station, great. That's better than me not being on the station, not being a homer and never hearing me again. There's one of two options. You know, I play it the way I see it, and we're very honest on this show, and we've been very critical at times with plays, players, mistakes that were made. And if you listen to the show every day, you know that. But for those who say, you know, there's chaos going on, I beg to differ. There's been a lot of chaos with players. The Henry Ruggs tragedy, that was brutal. Damon Arnett. There were executives that moved on, which was a gut punch. Many of them, my friends. There's a lot that went on. But for those on the outside who aren't in the building, they use the word chaos, and that frustrates me. Because Rich Passaccia would tell you at every press conference, everything is great on the football side. Everybody came to work. Everybody prepared. The team made the playoffs. There's no chaos. So you hear guys on national radio saying, man, it's chaos over there. It's chaos over there. No, it's not. That's Rich Passaccia, the head coach. He met the media. He talked to the media twice a week. No chaos. Everybody was doing their thing. There was tragedy. There were things that were mixed in that were out of control of most of the people in that business and in that building. It was just things that ensued that were a -a once-in-a-lifetime tragedy, hopefully, and some issues that were really tough to overcome. When it comes to the football team, I talk and interview Max Crosby. Ask Derek Carr if there's chaos in the building. Go ahead. Go ask Rod Marinelli and and Gus Bradley. It's a slap in the face to the organization and the coaches and the players when the national media and outsiders talk about this chaos scenario. And now they're trying to make good decisions to make the football team better. And we'll cover that here on the flagship Raider Nation Radio. I have no idea, to be honest. I was running to the ball, heard a whistle, then they said touchdown, then the rest on the side said he was out, and then they changed their mind, so... I honestly, I don't know. It all happened so fast. Can't you know? I can't tell you uh, what what all happened without seeing the replay. So it's tough. I don't know. It's just part of the game. It's tough. We're playing on the road. It's loud crowd. You know, it's refs are putting a hard situation too. You know, it's it's just a part of the game. So even with that, I feel like we we responded really well. We got necessary stops, and 
we just came up a little bit short. Um, so that's, that's all I got on that. Max on the invert whistle in Cincinnati. Do I think it affected the outcome of the game? Yeah, I do. I think if the Raiders, if that play is done over, I don't think they score. I think I kick a field goal. I think the Raiders can go on to win the game on the final drive, tie it, and do a lot of other things, and they were the best team in the NFL in overtime. I think we would have had confidence in the Raiders winning that game, but they made a lot of other mistakes along the way that cost them. The toughest thing that everybody's been telling me since that loss is that it's tough because the Raiders beat themselves. That's the common thread, is that they lost to a team they should have beat. They should have beat Cincinnati, but Cincinnati's laughing, going, we beat you twice. Beat you in the playoffs, beat you in your house in the regular season. It's hard to argue that. That can't happen again. You lose to Kansas City in Kansas City, that's one thing. You lose at Buffalo, in Buffalo in the playoffs, you can handle that. Can't be losing to Cincinnati. Raiders have to be able to match up better in games like that along the way. And what I want to see is the biggest change in the offseason, depending on whatever happens, and we're waiting for news, is that the offense becomes more explosive. I really do. I think that's the key to the future success of this team, is if they're going to keep Derek Carr, and everybody thinks they will as of now, or there could be you know, other rumors out there, but assuming today Carr's the quarterback, it's got to be better. And it's really good. It's really good. But it's got to be more explosive. It's got to be at the explosive level of Mahomes and Justin Herbert. And God forbid if Aaron Rodgers ends up in Denver. It's got to be more attacking. It's, they can't be clocking the ball on the nine-yard line. They can't be checkdowns. Can't. I mean, it's just got to be an aerial attack uh, based on Waller and Renfro who will be back and what they build around them, assuming they're going to get a young, fast, wide receiver again after what happened with Ruggs. But it has to be, has to be more explosive. Must be. Because at times it disappeared or it was just very slow and there wasn't enough of a sense of urgency. No one will argue that. I mean, we watched every play of every Raider game. There were a lot of games where it was just not aggressive enough for whatever reason. Either they didn't think the offensive line could hold the fort down or whatever it was. They just wanted to shorten the game, get the running game going. I think the strength of the team is the offensive passing game. I'd like to see it more aggressive this upcoming offseason and next year. Fabian in the South Bay, you're up next. Go ahead. Hey, JT, as always, thank you. Hey, I can't remember if I was at a friend's house at a watch party or most likely I was at home uh, like I was mm. watching the immaculate deception happen. Yelling at the TV screen, yelling it was a fumble. Yeah, 20 years ago, it's, it's hard to imagine that where we were. We were yeah, so much it's... younger back then, JT. Yep, I'm not. I'm, I'm feeling young today. Thank you. Got a good workout in today. Great day today. Going to do two radio shows. I feel just as young as 20 years ago today, but time flew. Time flew by in the Raider Nation. Appreciate it, Fabian. Raider Bull is in Fort Worth, Texas on the Raiders mobile app. Thank you, JT, for letting me in the brick house. 20 years ago today, I was in my apartment in Castro Valley, California. And, man, I had that old big 50-inch uh, big screen TV, and my neighbors were outside my window, picture window watching the game. And when they made made that call that it was a uh, hand with, arm was moving forward, I just couldn't believe it. I was just so I – I, so, I was hurt. I was hurt, and it still hurts today. The only thing that uh, really that compares to that is the immaculate deception, like mm-hmm. the uh, previous caller mentioned in Pittsburgh in 72. Yep. So that's Thank where you, I was, man. JT. Castro you got Valley. It. 
Appreciate it. Castro Valley, thank you. You know, I brought that up today because that's my job. I had to remind people today that 20 years ago today was the Tuck Rule. It's all over Sports Center. The documentary with Eric Allen, Charles Woodson, Brady, Teddy Bruschi, Belichick, that's coming out. They're promoting it today pretty heavy on ESPN. That's coming out later in February. Alex in Rhode Island on the great Raider mobile app. Hello, Alex. How you doing today? I was uh, I was at the game 20 years ago. No, I will never ever get over that game. It never will. My enduring memory is trudging back to my car in the snow. I was with my neighbor, who was a Patriots fan. I told him, "Don't say a word. Just don't say a word." But I had a Raiders jacket on, and my enduring memory trudging back to the car and getting hit with an ice ball in the back by some coward. I will never ever. Mm. Forget that. Wow, that's a hell of a story. Still bothers me. I will never get over that. The only time I will ever get over it after they ever win the Super Bowl again. Yeah, that's a good story. I I hear. I'm sorry about the part of getting hit with an ice ball, snowball, by some coward. That's hardcore. Yeah, getting out of that game. It was a whiteout at one point. You couldn't see. It it was that the Venetary kick. Everybody talks about Justin Tucker. Daniel Carlson this year. The Venetary kick that tied the game, I think, is the greatest kick of all time. Non-Super Bowl. You know, Venetary also kicked the game, one of the walk-off that beat Kurt Warner and the Rams, but that was indoors. He made that kick by a mile. But that line drive kick in the snowstorm that went in to tie the game was a miracle. That was a 45-yarder back in the day when 45-yarders were hard. Now 55-yarders, you expect everybody to make it. Leonard and San Jose on the Raiders app. Hello, uh, Leonard. Go ahead. What's up, JT? Okay, so I got another story I can tell later on about that mm. New England Raider game that was at the Coliseum back in 85. But I'm going to tell you about this Tuck Rule game. I was with a bunch of my friends. All of us were Los Angeles Raiders season ticket holders back in the day. We were just going crazy. And then you could hear a pin drop after that call was made. And the thing that I remember the most was, and this is really odd, everyone just kind of disappeared. No one said goodbye. No one said anything. Everyone just kind of just disappeared and just went away, just so frustrated. And I remember even the next day, I didn't, I didn't go to work because I work in the Bay Area. I'm from San Jose. And the 49er fans were, were going to say something. I, I, I didn't want to get fired. So, but that was just a tough, tough break. Hey, can I say something? one real quick thing? Real quick. Go ahead. Okay, so I, I would say this. Whoever they do hire as a new coach, I would definitely ask the question, would you keep Passaccio on your staff? Mm-hmm. Because sure. that guy's got to stay on that staff no matter what. He's got to stay with this team. Thanks, JT. Yeah, that's what makes this really complicated about the decision that Mark Davis will make coming up here. Is Rich Passaccio a head coach? What other role potentially? Who would who would take the place of Passaccio? Whatever it is. Uh, they're interviewing today. I'm happy Rich Passaccio put himself in a position as the head coach of the Raiders that would be here. He's a great guy. He deserves all of our respect. We're behind him. And whatever happens, it's out of our pay grade. They're going to make the decision, and they're not leaning on this radio show for the answers here. But I'm just proud to have worked with Rich Passaccia since he took over, and I think very highly of him as a man of character and a man who kept this team together, along with all the other coaches, all the other friendships I have with coaches on that team, who all could have went in one direction or the other, and they proved that they were pros. They always felt they had a good enough team to make the playoffs, and they did. And Mike Mayock deserves respect for that. Everybody involved. All right, interesting shows the rest of the week. Uh, We'll figure out what we're going to do tomorrow, sometime tonight. Friday, I'll be at the Raider facility. 
in Henderson. Looking forward to that day there. I'm on every night from 7 to 10 on Mad Dog Sports Radio. That's on Sirius XM 82. Sirius is worth the investment. It's the way I listen to radio. Check out my show tonight. And we're right halfway through the week. Coming off that loss to the Bengals, we're all getting through it on the flagship. Have a great day, everybody. Q coming up.